This is the LexisNexis New York Legal News Podcast. Litigation news stories from recent issues of LexisNexis Mealy's Publications. Current and targeted legal news and litigation reports. Two insurance companies have agreed to settle claims in a class action lawsuit filed by policyholders whose investment accounts were invested by the companies in Bernard Madoff Investment Securities and its affiliates. According to a motion filed by five policyholders named as lead plaintiffs in the Southern District of New York action, insurance companies Argus Group Holdings and subsidiary Argus International Life Bermuda and Tremont International Insurance have agreed to settle the claims by the policyholders in connection with losses incurred in the Madoff Ponzi scheme. As part of the settlement, which still requires court approval, Argus has agreed to issue loans to policyholders included in the proposed settlement class to prevent their investment policies from lapsing as a result of their investment in Rye Select funds at a 2.5% fixed interest rate. According to the motion, a litigation trust will also be created and the Argus defendants have agreed to cooperate with the settlement class in its ongoing claims against other defendants still part of the instant action. The motion indicates that, quote, while the settlement does not provide for a monetary payment to the settlement class, Lead Plaintiff's Counsel has worked relentlessly to ensure that the terms of the loan packages offered, the assignments of certain of the Argus defendants' claims into the litigation trust, and the cooperation by the Argus defendants confer a benefit to the class. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Financial Services Litigation Report Editor Tim Robb. The Second Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals has found that a Southern District of New York judge did not err in finding that the plaintiff's in an investor class action who alleged that GlaxoSmithKline committed securities fraud by failing to disclose the health risks of its diabetes drug Avandia, failed to adequately plead Sienter. Various securities owners alleged the company failed to disclose that Avandia increased the risk of heart attacks and that when the information finally was disclosed, the value of their holdings dropped. In May 2008, Judge Lewis Stanton dismissed the complaint, ruling the plaintiffs failed to show that GlaxoSmithKline had a duty to disclose the results of its meta-analyses because they did not show the heart attack risk was either statistically significant or serious enough to affect future earnings. He also said the plaintiffs failed to adequately plead scienter. The circuit court panel said the district court judge correctly held that the results of the meta-analysis were inconclusive. It also held the facts alleged do not raise a cogent and compelling inference of the defendant's intent to deceive, manipulate, or defraud. And the appeals court held the plaintiff's circumstantial pleadings did not permit an inference of the defendant's conscious misbehavior or recklessness. The Second Circuit has affirmed dismissal of a securities fraud class action against home heating and repair business Star Gas Partners, holding the plaintiffs failed to allege that any of the company's statements were misleading. The panel held that long before the price of Star Gas securities fell in October 2004, it disclosed unfavorable customer attribution figures and made it clear that its business improvement plan was facing significant challenges. A New York federal judge on August 18th granted preliminary approval of a $125 million settlement in a securities class action alleging that Bristol-Myers Squibb violated securities laws in the settlement of a 2006 patent case involving its anti-blood coagulant drug Plavix. Two class action complaints, which were ultimately consolidated, were filed against Bristol-Myers in 2007 in the Southern District of New York. The plaintiffs, in their August 18th motion for preliminary approval of settlement, said that Bristol-Myers entered into an agreement with generic competitor Apotex Corporation in 2006 to settle patent litigation regarding Plavix. 
According to the plaintiffs, the agreement, which was subject to regulatory approval, indicated Apotex would not introduce a generic equivalent of Plavix before the license period established in the agreement. The plaintiffs allege Bristol-Myers failed to disclose to investors that it had agreed to significant limitations on its damages and patent enforcement rights if the regulators rejected the settlement, that the regulators rejected the initial proposed settlement, and that the renegotiated settlement contained certain alleged secret and unlawful oral representations that were not disclosed to investors or regulators. After the information was disclosed to the public in July and August 2006, Bristol-Myers' stock price dropped. The settlement is subject to final approval. An approval hearing is scheduled for December 8th. In a case of first impression, the Second Circuit held August 21st that a webcasting service that provides users with individualized Internet radio stations is not an interactive service within the meaning of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. The Circuit Court said a Southern District of New York jury correctly dismissed copyright infringement allegations brought by the recording industry against defendant Launch Media Incorporated, provider of the webcasting service LaunchCast. As such, Launch Media need only pay a statutory licensing fee set by the Copyright Royalty Board and need not pay individual licensing fees to the copyright holders of the recordings of songs the webcasting service plays for its users. The LaunchCast service enables users to create stations that play songs that fall within a particular genre or are similar to a particular artist or song the user selects. The recording industry, including plaintiffs Arista Records, BMG Music, Capitol Records, and Sony Music Entertainment, filed suit in 2001, alleging copyright infringement and claiming Launch Media owed it royalties. The circuit court said LaunchCast is not interactive because users of the service cannot request and expect to hear a particular song on demand. It said the service's randomization is limited by restrictions on the consecutive play of artists or albums, which further restricts the user's ability to choose the album or artist they wish to hear. In short, to the degree that LaunchCast playlists are uniquely created for each user, that feature does not ensure predictability. Indeed, the unique nature of the playlist helps Launch ensure that it does not provide a service so specially created for the user that the user ceases to purchase music. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Mark Rogers. A New York State justice recently ordered Google to disclose identifying information about an anonymous blogger that posted allegedly defamatory comments about a fashion model on a blog. Justice John Madden of the New York County Supreme Court found that model Laskula Cohen had sufficiently established the merits of her proposed defamation action against the blogger to merit pre-action disclosure of the blogger's information from Google or its subsidiary blogger.com, which hosted the blog in question. Google had refused Cohen's request for the blogger's identity, stating that it was, quote, not willing to cooperate absent a court order. Cohen filed suit, seeking an order to compel disclosure. Google notified the blogger of the request and lawsuit via email. The blogger opposed the petition anonymously through his or her counsel, calling the blog comments non-actionable opinion and slash or hyperbole. Pursuant to settlement discussions, the blogger voluntarily removed the postings back in March. Looking at the context of the blog as a whole, Justice Madden noted that it's solely focused on Cohen. Thus, the justice disagreed with the blogger's claim that the comments were vague insults, finding that in context, they were, quote, reasonably susceptible of a defamatory connotation and are actionable. A former clown with the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, who went on to write a children's book about his experience, overcame a motion seeking dismissal of copyright infringement claims he filed against publisher Simon & Schuster 
and a standardized test maker, CTB the McGraw Hill Companies. According to Southern District of New York Judge Robert Sweet, Stephen Michael Harris claims, which center on the allegedly unauthorized use of excerpts from his book and standardized tests, should be allowed to proceed. Harris wrote the book This Is My Trunk in 1983, detailing his time spent with the circus. CTB McGraw-Hill Companies develops a variety of aptitude tests. In 1998, 2003, and 2006, Simon & Schuster granted CTB a non-exclusive, non-transferable license to use an excerpt from This Is My Trunk in the reading comprehension portions of certain standardized tests. But, alleging copyright infringement, Harris filed suit in 2008. The defendants moved for summary judgment dismissal, arguing that in licensing the works to CTB for use in the tests, Simon & Schuster and CTB acted within the scope of their rights as set forth in the publishing agreements and the licenses. Although Judge Sweet agreed with the defendants that the tests constitute compilations, and thus Simon Schuster was within its rights in licensing the work to CTB, CTB exceeded the scope of the license it received. Specifically, Judge Sweet cited evidence that CTB published the work in locations other than California and Tennessee, which were singled out in the license between the defendants. He rejected the defendants' assertions that although all three licenses contained geographical restrictions, the limitations did not apply in connection with their repeat use. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Mike Butler. A federal jury in New York, August 27th, returned an $11 million medical malpractice verdict holding a pediatrician and medical center responsible for failing to intervene on behalf of two sisters who were being sexually assaulted by their half-brother. Catherine Page, the mother of the victims, alleged that she learned her daughters were being abused in August 2000 and reported it to the family's pediatrician. The doctor suggested the children be separated from their half-brother. The doctor allegedly later examined the victims but did not ask about the abuse. Police were alerted of the reported rape of the girls in early 2001. Page maintained the physician and medical center were negligent in their care of the children by failing to take the proper steps to examine the situation, which would have prevented the girls from being further sexually assaulted by their half-brother. The Northern District of New York jury awarded $6 million to the older sister, who is now 18, and $5 million to the younger sister, who is now 16. It concluded that the defendants deviated from their accepted standard of care by failing to properly diagnose the sexual abuse and that their negligence was a factor in causing the girls' injuries. The U.S. Department of Justice announcing that the state of New York and New York City agreed in July to pay $540 million to settle allegations that they knowingly submitted or caused to be submitted false claims for reimbursement for school-based health services provided to Medicaid-eligible children. Since the early 1990s, the U.S. has paid New York billions of dollars as the federal government's share of health care costs for services provided to Medicaid-eligible school children under New York's School Supportive Health Services Program and Preschool Supportive Health Services Program. New York's education and health departments jointly developed the programs to assist local school districts, counties, and other schools in obtaining Medicaid reimbursement for covered diagnostic and health support services provided to students with disabilities. The settlement resolves allegations that from 1990 to 2001, the state of New York knowingly failed to provide proper guidance to the districts and counties, outlining the requirements for a service to be covered by the Medicaid program, failed to monitor the districts and counties for compliance as required, and passed on claims to the federal government for services it knew were not covered or properly documented, all which caused the United States to pay a larger share of New York's Medicaid costs. The settlement also resolves allegations that New York City submitted claims to the state for false speech services. The state then passed on the claims to the federal government for Medicaid reimbursement. 
If you'd like more information on these and other New York cases, visit LexisNexis.com forward slash Mealy's, M-E-A-L-E-Y-S, or TotalLitigator.com. LexisNexis Legal News New York is written by the editors of LexisNexis Mealy Publications, current and targeted legal news and litigation reports. The LexisNexis New York Legal News Podcast, copyright 2009 by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Severe Incorporated. LexisNexis, total practice solutions. I'm Steve Bursler. Thank you for listening.